Welcome back. Welcome back to Public Problems. I'm your host, Justin Bullock. As you can see, I like to keep mixing my setup, which is a lot of fun for me. So today we are from the kitchen table. And you can see the nice mirror effect we have of uh, the, black, the whiteboard. Announcing today's episode, which is the story of us part one. Thanks for joining. Um, today, as alluded to in the, in the fan page uh, and in the promo video, we're going to be going through chapters zero, one, and two of Tim Urban's The Story of Us from the Wait But Why uh, website. And I think there are some really important and interesting parallels to the way that Urban describes his general theory of, uh, of what creates individuals, how they uh, interact within societies, what is the makeup of, uh, of kind of the subhuman, uh, what gives rise to us, and how we interact with others in a society. So we're just going to jump right in that today. I have some other announcements for another time, but I just want to get right into the material today because I'm quite excited to share it with you. This is a, a, a set of readings that I had also that I also selected for my decision-making uh, course at Texas A&M uh, when I was uh, teaching in the Master's in Public Service and Administration program there. Um, I discovered Tim Urban's uh, Wait But Why a few years ago. The Story of Us is a series of chapters that he did, uh, I believe over 2019, um, and in early 20 maybe, um, and is compiling it into a full book and an audio book that you should uh, check out. It's done a lot for me to help organize the interactions between individuals and their society and kind of have a picture for uh, the makeup of individuals and how we think. So I think it's a nice guide and it's a nice compliment to uh, what we've been reading from Aldous Huxley and uh, Olaf Stapleton. You'll see some in particular similarities and overlaps with... Um, with how Huxley views both individual behavior and how we fit in with society. All right. So with all that in mind, I'm going to give you a nice preview uh, board of what the talk today uh, is going to cover. We're going to do chapter one first. Right? And you can see there are, I have the summary whiteboard that I'll refer to throughout. You'll maybe hopefully recognize that some of these characters are a bit similar uh, to what you found in the blog post. Okay, so I'm going to storyboard from the from the board instead of having it on me so you can follow along a little bit here. And to the chapter 1 is the great battle of fire and light. And in this chapter um Urban gives us a picture of the competing forces that he sees as driving individual behavior. And that's where we're going to start. And he calls them fire and light. But how do we, how do we get there? So Urban tells us a story of how DNA, there's a little DNA character from the post, gave rise to animal survival software. Here's a little animal survival software character that you may remember from the blog post. And this idea is that as um, DNA grew, uh, developed more into more and more uh, complex structures, that it needed a place to house itself. And that's what gave rise to the animal software settings 
survival settings over time. And the idea is that through, uh, through evolution, DNA gave rise to these, uh, this setting that we have as animals that operates on emotions and feelings for a, lar a, large, pot, a large part of it. And these are things like, uh, you can reference the blog post, but things like hunger as being something that we experience as a feeling, um, thirst as another, um, pain is another, horniness is another one that he mentions. Um, so there are all these different types of um, uh, settings that we have as our basic animal software. And one of the things that he highlights, um, and this has been uh, highlighted uh, in, some, in some movies as well, um, is that these things change. They go up and they go down. And it has to do with a number of things, but in large part with its environment. And as it experiences new things in its environment, something might hurt it. And if something hurts it, its pain goes up and it has a, a set of processes that it responds accordingly. And in the, in the blog post, there's an example of a lizard getting hit in the head and feeling the pain and getting up to move to avoid the pain. There's also the one of hunger going up over time as the body needs more food and more nutrients to survive, and that motivating the actual animal to get up and go forage for food. Okay, and so Urban's argument is that basic DNA gave rise to more complex beings and more complex structures as they uh, interacted and evolved and uh, learned to deal with the complexity in their environment as one path of doing that. Animals develop this uh, survival um, software settings. And the basic idea is that interacting within its environment um, affects these settings and motivates the animal to respond. All right. And as over time and uh, beings became more complex, something kind of different happened for humans that was more complex than what animals in the past had been able to do. Humans began to be able to reason. They began to have imagination. And those things mixed together um, with a new ability to uh, communicate using symbols, using language, gave rise to sharing of experience and reasoning through one's circumstances and an imagination about how things could be both different and an imagination for uh, how other people's experience might be similar or different from yours. And the argument is that then this led to an ability to empathize with others and understand, imagine, and communicate their, um, their mindset. And this gave us the ability to have what he calls the higher mind. And the higher mind is a combination of the three of these things. That is humans, one of our special abilities is to reason, empathize, and imagine. And that we can use these skills in our new and modern world and in our complex environment to provide a better balance to the old software survival settings of the animal condition. And that if we 
keep in mind the things that we can learn through reason and through imagination and through empathy, then we can also retain some better control over how these software settings play out in our own minds. All right, so again, we have some uh, basic animal software settings that have survi uh, survival settings that have evolved over time that have allowed us to be good at surviving. These in the human case gave things to, uh, gave rise to things like reason and imagination. There's Clemmer's hanging out with us this morning. And then the, uh, the ability to communicate gave rise to empathy. And this helps balance some of our tendencies across our animal survival software settings. All right. Now, before I uh, highlight the last uh, bit of this chapter that I think is important that you, uh, that you take away, I want you to spend a little bit of time thinking about how this connects to um, some of the things that we've learned from Huxley in the Who Are We? This idea that there's both the reasoning self and the experiencing self, and that we need to find ways for them to um, interact well um, and listen to the kind of animal survival software part, the, the body part that is important, and also incorporate intelligently the higher mind, the mind part. Um, and thinking and reason and empathy and imagination. And that it's having these things uh, together in a balance that leads towards the best quality of thought and uh, a high quality of intelligent life and personal life. Um, so with, with that kind of tie back to the mind-body problem from Who Are We, what I want to show you here is that Urban illustrates this in terms of the mind. So you can imagine, or in terms of, yeah, in terms of the mind and the roles that they play. So the, the broader outline here is the totality of someone's mind. And it can either be more influenced and kind of overwhelmed with the fire of passion, with the fire of the animal survival software settings, and really crowding out uh, the ability to um, reason and empathize and think with the higher mind. And that this happens for lots of people, and this is where our minds uh, are sometimes when we have fused with an emotion, when we have cognitively fused with, say, hunger or pain or sexual desire or um, other types of emotions, um, fear that we might fuse with. And when we do, the passion from the animal survival software settings really crowds out our ability to reason and imagine and empathize. And akin to what we, uh, what we learned from uh, Huxley, um, Urban argues for a better balance, where the higher mind and reason and empathy uh, and imagination are used alongside paying attention to what our body tells us, our survival uh, software settings. All right. Oh, nice view of my hat. That is the, the gist of the chapter one, the great battle of fire and light. Fire being the passion of the animal survival software and light being the light that you can get from the higher mind. Uh, I hope the uh, images are helpful. I find them, the characters really helpful to understanding how this plays out. Uh, but you should, uh, as always, go read the original blog post. 
The characters are better developed there as well, and it's uh, there's a lot more details and references to the science behind it. All right. So with that in mind, going to swap over to chapter two. And as I showed in the promo video, I finally got it right this week. Look at that, board flip, ah, oh, but not all at once. <laughs> all right, so chapter two um, is called A Game of Giants. And we're gonna build from some of the intuitions that we developed uh, about the animal and the animal mind and how it is developed, uh, uh, how it's created by a lot of smaller parts that we know from biology and from physics that we'll talk about in a minute. And then how those characteristics might also uh, scale up to other levels of emergence, where it's not just the independent animal as the, uh, the level of emergence that makes most sense to talk about what determines or influences behavior the most. And then we're going to look at to see as giants are created, tribes as it were, are there some characteristics of some giants that lead to longer term health and uh, sustainability? All right. But with those things in mind, I wanna start with uh, the basics from the emergence tower. So in the beginning, Urban highlights some things from the natural sciences with some pictures um, and then develops the um, emergence tower. And we have one Clemmers who wants to be part of things this morning. Yeah, yeah more company now? All right, let's go back to the whiteboard. <laughs> okay, you're welcome. All right, so at the beginning, he uses the example of two uh, single cell organisms. And that's these little rectangles with the smiley faces. And that they uh, are limited in what they can do. And so they bind together into uh, groups of cells. And this gives rise to tissue, um, which gives rise to organs. You can see the heart there as an organ made up of tissues. And from individual organs, we have organ systems. And those organ systems are what give rise to humans. You can see humans with a heart there. Hard to tell. There it is. And that we can also think of additional levels of emergence to describe behavior. And human is not the last one. Animal is not the last one. You can look at small groups of animals from a family um, or a few dozen or larger groups of animals that are thousands of animals. And this is where we're going to get the notion of a giant. Um, that a giant is built up of smaller groups of humans, built up of individual humans, built up of organs and organ systems, built up of tissues, built up of um, individual cells. At each one of these levels, there's a new phenomenon. So it can be described by calling it something else. Even though at the highest level of the giant here, it's ultimately made up of atoms and cells, it makes more sense to talk about it as a giant's behavior. Same thing with groups of people, same things with an individual's behavior. Even though cells are what make up that body and interact in important ways, it uh, is not the most useful way to describe the behavior always. All right? That's what we mean when we talk about levels of emergence. All right, in the blog post, Urban draws up a nice emergence tower for us, and he highlights different levels of emergence visually for you. And then we 
color in a couple of them that um, are ones where we often make distinguishing characteristics, um, just commonly. So there's subatomic parts, quantum parts, uh, and others that give rise to atoms. Atoms give rise to molecules, to proteins, to organelles, to cells. Cells is a unit we often think of. Cells give rise to tissues, tissues to organs, and all the way up to animals, and dozens of animals and thousands of animals. Okay, so what is the point of this? All right. This was a, a key insight for me in trying to understand organizational behavior and individual's behavior and relating it to a continuum. So the idea here is that without giving us a lot of thought, we often naively, as you can see up here, assume that the level of independence, and what I mean by the level of independence is where the behavior is most adequately explained and what, is, uh, what determines it, is we often, as humans, as animals, think of that as always the relevant level of independence for other things, for other animals. And for some animals, maybe this makes sense. For example, spiders. Spiders uh, are fairly solitary. They build a web. They hang out on their own. They are their own independent. Uh, their behavior is best described by the individual spider. However, the other example that Urban uses is the ant colony. Right? And an ant colony is arguably better described by the colony as the level of independence. All the ants are subjected to the will of the colony, and that is really the unit that makes most sense to describe the behavior of the individual ants. So while we kind of typically picture uh, ants as down here at the spider level, maybe they're better, their behavior, individual ants' behavior, and the way that individual cells' behavior is often uh, described um, by, the, the, by a higher level up on the emergence tower. All right. Okay. And the next uh, insight uh, that Urban goes into some detail in this chapter, and we're going to spend uh, in this uh, post and chapter, as it were, um, is that humans are interesting and maybe unique, but definitely interesting in the fact that what determines our behavior ranges based on different contextual factors about ourselves and our environments. And that sometimes our behavior is better described at the individual human level. Sometimes it's better described at the, the tribe, the family or tribe level. And sometimes it's better described on the larger regional, national, global scale. And that for different circumstances and for different people that they operate on this range with how influential uh, that level is. Some people have uh, much more um, uh, independence um, at this level, whereas others are much more in line with the controlling factors or the ideas or the, yeah, the controlling mechanisms from either their family or their, their organization that they work for, their tribe of friends, or their nation state, or their state, or their city, or something much larger. And... 
Given the human tendency to bond together to tribes over time, as Urban will, uh, highlights in some pictures in the post, that some tribes had a better likelihood of surviving than others. And he illustrates this with tribe A, tribe B, and tribe C. And in tribe A, it's composed of a bunch of people who, are, uh, who do not cooperate. They're just crappy to one another. And then there's a group of a tribe that they're only nice, they're only helpful, they're only kind. And then there's a group, a third group, that is sometimes kind and is sometimes uh, uh, not. <laughs> sometimes they, are, uh, they, they push back or they're violent. And what he notes is that tribes that were only violent, <clears throat> um, in using back some terms from Huxley, are self-stultifying. In the sense that if you can't get along with your neighbor, everyone just can't survive and become a bigger tribe, and likely violence kills all of them off. Then he looks at the two remaining tribes, one that's always kind and one that is, one that is selectively kind. All right? And selectively kind usually means some level of uh, more kindness towards the in-group, but less kindness towards the outgroup in all kind of circumstances. So where, um, where Urban leaves this uh, chapter is to point out that if you have just a tribe of only nice people and you have a tribe that sometimes is nice, but sometimes is not to outsiders and there's conflict that the selective kindness is a more optimal strategy for the tribe in terms of survival. And that this characteristic of selective kindness as a, as a way of survival and treating your in-group a little bit differently than your out-group is what led to tribes that were able to jump into large giants, like nation-states. And then for lots of things that the nation-state or the tribe, again, the giant tribe, the giant, a game of giants, as it were, um, is best described at that level. And then we're going to see something about that giants that act with different uh, selective amounts of kindness um, will have different types of outcomes for their collective societies. And that's something that when we move towards a, the, next, uh, the next post, which is a story of stories, that we look at how stories um, help determine our individual behavior but then also our collective behavior about when we are kind and when we are not to insiders and to outsiders. All right, that's part one. Um, I hope you enjoyed the chapter one and chapter two from Tim Urban's Wait But Why. Um, the next uh, live episode will be covering uh, chapter three. There's a lot in the next uh, blog, blog post, so I want to spend some time going into some detail on that with you. And we might bring in some, uh, some other readings just as, uh, to keep it mixed up and fresh um, so that we're not just uh, in full-on uh, information lecturing style um, for next week as well. But those are going to be a game-time decision for next week, so those will be a surprise. Um, thank you for your time. Uh, I'll do the announcements here at the end. Um, we have a website now, uh, justinbullock.org, so you can check uh, the new website out. We, uh, uh, we still... Um, could use your support, so you can support by subscribing to the YouTube page, by liking the fan page, um, by sharing the posts, by sharing the videos, um, and by being a, a subscriber on Patreon uh, to help have a, a financial stability towards the project.
Um, I think that's all I have. Uh, more material will be coming out this week. Follow on the fan page or the website for the most recent updates that I'll be sharing um, in posts. And uh, look for some, some videos to come out, some short videos this week um, that might be a little different and fun for you. Uh, thanks again to those of you following along. This is a lot of fun for me. Um, and uh, I hope you're finding it both interesting and useful. Have a great day.